Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Conservative. Patriot. Common sense. This is The Jane Carroll Show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Monday edition, the Monday before five big primaries in the country, including the one in Oregon tomorrow, and well, things should get a little bit interesting. We're joined tonight by the star of I Spy uh, Radio and a great political analyst and patriot. Mark Anderson is here with us to, for the first hour to talk about what's going on out there politically and otherwise, because but there was a lot of stuff, and he has a lot of great opinions. He also has a, his hands on the pulse of the Oregon election, and I want to get his read on, on some of that. Hi, Mark. Hey, Jane. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Now, let's let's talk about the whole, whole scene out there right now. I want to ask you about – the word is that the Biden people, Democrats, went out and hired a consultant for six months. And as you know, consultants do not come cheap. Mm-hmm. to come up with a, a derogatory name to call the Trump supporters. And and they they came up with, you know, ultra mega. And of course, then Biden changed it into the mega king, which actually sounds fabulous. Yeah. Make America great king. I mean, that, the, the ultra always has a, ultra was a more powerful word than I thought than mega. And Biden calls it mega. Is it working? Um, no. In fact, I've seen a lot of people embrace that. Um, I, I've seen a lot of posts on Facebook that they're all now either ultra mega or super duper ultra mega, any number of things. I tell you, if they had to pay six months worth of consulting fees and that's what they came up with, it's no wonder the country is running out of baby formula. Well, they're the same people probably that came up with deplorables. Yeah, really. <laughs> and that really that, that worked out well for them. And, yeah, that's for sure. And so it, okay. Let you're 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 a social media type person. We are in our our line of work. We have to sort of try to get on it. We usually get banned. You think um, Musk is going to buy Twitter? You know, I think he will probably go through with it, but he's going to be. Um, exposing a lot of the shenanigans that have been going on for quite some time. And the latest round is that he is trying to change the amount that he's paying for it. And rightfully so, because soon after he announced that he was going to buy it and um, made the, made the offer, um, lo and behold, you started seeing these leftists saying, Hey gosh, you know, Elon's coming on here and suddenly people are jumping ship. I've lost 10,000 followers. This person lost 20,000 followers and on and on it went. Well, it turns out a lot of those accounts that were suddenly uh, being dumped were not actual people leaving. I mean, sure, some of them probably were, you know, leaving in protest because uh, that solves things. But um, they, they were actually fake accounts. And one of the things that has come out of all of this is that in some cases you have one person controlling 5,000 or more 
accounts. And so that's why the left always looks so much bigger and that these uh, leftist thinking uh, and, and their ideology is, is so popular. Well, it turns out a lot of it is just simply fake accounts. And, you know, it, it's not surprising, really, that that's the case, because when you look at things like global warming, which continues to be a massive funding source for the left, uh, billions of dollars every year that goes not to anything even remotely conservative, but simply to far left organizations. Uh, it is funneled through them to promote global warming and say, oh, my gosh, we need all of this, uh, all these all of these research studies to prove that global warming is out there. Well, they've done thousands upon thousands of these studies. And when you really think about it, if, if, you, if imagine if the NRA was getting the same amount of funding that global warming was billions of dollars to go out there and market the Second Amendment, go out there and promote gun ownership, go out there and promote gun safety, all of these things. Billions of taxpayer dollars, mind you, billions of dollars. Well, you know, they probably could change a few minds in terms of uh, getting rid of some of these gun laws and stuff. And, and so when you look at all of these fake accounts, uh, to circle back to that, uh, when you look at all these fake accounts, it, it's kind of not surprising that they have to rely on these fake accounts because having access to billions of dollars, they still are not convincing people that global warming is real. And it's the same thing with all of these other leftist ideologies. Um, uh, the, the country has shifted more and more and more to pro-life over the years. It, and the left wants you to think that everybody is all in favor of abortion right up to the day of birth. And in fact, in California, it passed out of committee this bill that the, you could murder a child a month after birth. And this is the kind of woke ideology that we're faced with here in the United States. And it is funded in large part by taxpayer dollars. And so I'm not surprised that that Elon Musk is looking at all of these fake Twitter accounts and says, you know, gosh, you don't have anywhere near the number of uh, accounts that you are telling everybody, including your investors, including the, the, the trade commissions, that you've got all of these millions of users. How many of these are fake exactly? So I think he will eventually uh, go through with it, but he's going to expose an awful lot of what goes on behind the scenes there at a woke company like Twitter. And more power to him, because this is great if you can start exposing that the left, despite its its massive overtake of, of the media and control of the media, um, all of the mainstream media, they're all left. Fox News itself is going more and more left. And, you know, great for Elon Musk to start exposing this because – this notion that everybody in America is somehow this this woke wannabe is simply not true. America does not embrace leftist ideology. It's it's the antithesis of American ideology. Yeah, it's just it it's it it is interesting. It, it is interesting the backlash because if you you know if, if you if you're somebody that watches, for example, The View, you think everybody's woke, and they don't. Do they even have a conservative on that show anymore? Even a fake one? Well, I, I don't even think they have a um, – they've never had a real conservative. Um, you'd get the occasional quasi-conservative viewpoint from uh, Megan, but I don't even – I have never watched The View. Um, I have seen the occasional uh, outtake of it that somebody has clipped and put on Facebook or, or some other social media, but I, I can't say I have ever watched The View ever, not in its entirety. Uh, and probably more people watch the, the outtakes and the clips than actually watch the show. But, yeah, I, I really don't know if they have any conservatives on there. Yeah, I, and Megan McCain. I, I mean, I think if you're a conservative on that show, you have to, there was, uh, you have to hate Trump. 
you can be, you, you can be conservative, but you, you can't. And of course, they don't last long because it's so abusive. And ever since, ever since uh, Whoopi Goldberg got suspended for two weeks for basically saying, you know, totally misdefining uh, what was going on that that what happened to the Jews in Germany had nothing to do with race. That was that was always a special yeah. sort of thing. So it's it's you know you you get this, this kind of thing, but uh, it's it it is interesting. Now we've got these these elections going on, and tomorrow and and the narrative right now is after the the big big first primaries where what was it fifty five and oh something where Trump's predictions won. They are really setting up uh, these five primaries uh, tomorrow. And the way they're going to do it is count. If Trump loses any, it's over. <laughs> it's 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 it, the whole thing is it's over. It's it, it, this magnetism, his appeal, the party's breaking away from droves, and you know he could win forty four out of fifty, and they'd say that. Um, do you think he's going to? They're going to get to say a lot of those in in the states that are are tomorrow, which include, of course, Oregon, Idaho. North Carolina. Um, I'm trying to. Add, we've got Pennsylvania, which I think is the biggest uh, yeah. t- tomorrow, and um, all the other ones on the East Coast too. Oh, no, Kentucky. So, yeah, those are the ones ones tomorrow. Do you see anything coming out of those that are going to be a, a game turner for the Republicans or for the Democrats? I, I certainly don't see any kind of game changers coming out of any of those for the Democrats. I think um, what is happening here in Oregon is probably pretty indicative of what is happening in these other states where the Democrats seem to be pretty dispirited, and they should be. Uh, the guy that allegedly got 80 million votes, uh, I don't even think he knows where he is most days. And if they're buying six months worth of consulting times, as I said, it's no wonder that there's baby food shortages. I mean, when you look around at the destruction that the Democrats have done, I mean, so much for Build Back Better, uh, when you look at the utter and complete destruction all across the board, um, whether it's it's high gas prices, whether it's diesel prices, there are just now rumors that there's going to be diesel fuel rationing coming up uh, by summertime. Uh, You've got Texas power plants that are because they started to buy in, Governor Abbott bought into the Green uh, Revolution, and uh, they've taken, uh, they, they've added more of these these windmills and, and solar and everything else, and it just can't meet the load, especially with more people moving in. Uh, when you look at, um, so you got the whole the, the whole green agenda is being exposed to be a fraud, uh, and that's a clearly a, a Democrat uh, strong point, allegedly anyway. Um, and and it just across the board, I mean, inflation, I mean, for heaven's sakes. Even if you are a rabid um, Biden supporter, you've got to be looking at your grocery bill saying, holy crap, what is going on here? Um, I know that our grocery bill has gone up 40 percent in the last year. Yeah, um, ours is, too. It's, it's, really it's just astounding. And so why Democrats be excited to vote in this primary? I don't know. Um, you know maybe they're thinking um, uh, if they go more woke somehow, I, I guess you'll be less broke. I mean, it's. It's really bizarre um, how how they're thinking that somehow doing what they're doing is going to lead to better results, um, especially in the November. 
uh, election because I think they're looking at the primary saying, you know, why even bother at this point? Because we're just going to get destroyed in November. Um, I, I I have not looked at those other states in terms of their turnouts, but here in Oregon, the 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 turnout is abysmal. Uh, it really is. But yeah, I I I don't know. Um, I I think Pennsylvania, when you look at them and the rallies that have been held there and some of the reports out of there, I think Pennsylvania has a lot of excitement going on right now. Same thing with with um, um, uh, Ohio, but I don't um, they actually had theirs already. But what you can see there with Ohio is they're excited for November. And and that excitement bodes well um, for those races in uh, you know in the general elections come November because the excitement that you, you you really build your excitement now in the primary because that will carry you into November, and that's why you know getting the right people in position is, is, you know putting your best against uh, their best on the field and I just see no excitement coming out of Ohio uh, for the Democrats. Um, all of the excitement was uh, on the Trump side, and that's really all you heard was that he was fifty five and zero. Uh, on those picks, whether he'll continue that unbroken streak, I don't know. Um, th- it's going to be interesting to see how that Senate race turns out. I think. What do you think? What do you think of the Senate race? We, of course, we've got the, we've got the uh, the candidate with um, we've got. You got Dr. Oz. That's Dr. Oz, one. which is an unusual yeah. usual one, and I think you know he's he's suffering from a lot of the same attacks that Trump suffered from when he first surfaced. He's yeah. not a he's not a conservative. He's uh, you know, he's pro-abortion. He's he gives money to Democrats. He's you know he's all all these things. But uh, uh, Oz is out there fighting, and he sounds pretty sincere. Mm-hmm. I think he's a pretty compelling figure. He's got a lot of charisma, and um, he's he's you know a lot of women just love him, which is yeah. which is atypical for most Republican candidates. Um, but they like him because I mean he was on Oprah for years. And and she loved him. I guess she doesn't love him anymore. But <laughs> excuse me, that's how things are happening. Then we we also have another Republican in the race, and um, he is up until the last few days. They were in a barn burner, a cliffhanger. There was you know one or two points between them, and and they were both in the twenty percentiles. Well, out of nowhere has come this third candidate who mm-hmm. claims to be a, a big. Uh, Trump supporter, and I've had her on the show, and she, 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 I, she, I tested. She was certainly a, a conservative supporter, but um, the Democrats are said to want her to win because she won't win in a state that is sort of purple. Yeah, I mean, you're, it, you're talking Kathy Barnett. Yeah, Kathy Barnett, yes. and but and she says if she if she doesn't win, she's not going to endorse any of the the winner. So, well, that's um, just being a spoil sport. I hate to say it, but, um, you know, we had a similar situation when it came to governor a couple of years back uh, with Newt Bueller and Sam Carpenter and Greg Woldward. And unfortunately, you had the conservative side of that vote split uh, between Sam uh, and Greg. And that was enough to split it three ways where the third middle of the road guy, Newt Bueller, ended up winning. And, you know, that's always such a difficult part with primaries. Um, and now here in Oregon, we've got 19 candidates uh, on the Republican side. And it's going to be very interesting to see how those votes end up shaking out, because, you know, if you, you've got Kathy Barnett in there, she could bleed enough um, conservative votes away from uh, Dr. Oz and let the other guy get in. 
Well, um, and according to some reports, of course, this is the media, so you can't always trust it. That a lot um, of the people that went to the the Trump rally in Pennsylvania, where Dr. Oz was with him, that said they were going to vote for Barnett. And and she is a she she's a compelling figure and um she's very pro life. Uh, her mother didn't abort her. Uh, was uh, was uh, raped at the age of eleven and had her. And so she's somebody that speaks about it with with a great passion and and uh, and she has she has a certain amount of charisma as as well. The third candidate, he's he's he he says he's a big Trump backer, and. There's some there's some question as to whether or not that's true. There's also some question. They've got some quotes of uh, Barnett saying some opposite things of what Trump supported, too. So they're 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 doing their homework on that on that. But do you think in a purple from a pragmatic point of view, who is going to be the strongest candidate in the fall for the Republicans in Pennsylvania? And and see, that's that's what is always so key when it comes to primaries. You may really like and I often look at it like um, you're the football coach and you've got to decide who is going to be the starter in a given position on Sunday. You might really have a favorite. You got to have drinks with him and he's a, a real friend of yours. But, you know, that they're the guy that they're going to put on the field, the other guy that maybe you don't like so much. In fact, he's kind of a butt. And yet, you know, that he's a better qualified candidate um, for that position. And so that's really what you have to take the approach with when it comes to primaries, in my opinion, is you've got to look at who is going to be your best going against their best, their likely best. Because, of course, you don't know. Uh, it would be kind of handy, actually, if, if you had re- Republicans vote one week and Democrats the next or something where you could see who the next person is going to be. And then you could pick a little bit better, a uh, little bit more informed. But, of course, we don't have that option. So you always have to look at, OK, so which of my teammates can are most likely to win against whoever it is that emerges uh, from the other side and uh, that they're likely to put forward. And so if you look at the primary, uh, I really couldn't tell you any of the Democrat uh, primary senators out there in, in Pennsylvania. But of the three, I think probably Dr. Oz probably has the best chance to win in a purple state like Pennsylvania. Um, as you say, he's well known. Name recognition really is a key thing especially in primaries, um, but also then in the general, because, you know, we, we saw it uh, back when Dudley won. You know, he's not this flaming conservative, uh, you know, bastion of, of conservative values and everything else. Yeah, he agreed with most things, but I think there were some things that you know, you really weren't sure about on, in terms of his conservative values. But he nearly won that race because of that name recognition, because he had a little bit of star power to draw people over from the Democrat side. And that's what you've got to look at at, when you're putting a candidate forward on the Republican side. You have to say, can this person bring any Democrats over from the other side? And of course, you're not going to get the far left. They're hopeless and lost anyway. But but can you pull some of those moderates over? Uh, Can you pull some of the, the, the few remaining conservative Democrats over, the Trump Democrats? Can you pull them over with with whoever it is that I'm I'm putting forward? And I think probably Oz has the best chance to win in the general, given that criteria. Yeah, well, a lot of people made that same argument for the gentleman you were talking about before, Newt Bueller, that he was mm-hmm. somebody that was more we could Democrats could comfortably support him. That didn't happen. Yeah, uh, well, because and the reason being is because he was too much of a Democrat. Why go with Democrat light when you get the full Democrat? 
Yeah. And, and yeah. that's why, in my opinion, that's why he lost that race is because he ran from uh, conservative values. He ran from even he didn't even want to be referred to as a Republican. A lot of his ads didn't even I don't think he is say that he was a Republican. Oh, no. Party? Yeah, yeah, he left the party. Yeah. So a lot of us knew that he he really wasn't a, a, a Republican and he was not going to be governing like a, a Republican. He, yeah, he might not have done the carbon tax and some of the other stuff that uh, Kate has done. But even so, uh, on a lot of the things, they were in lockstep. Um, so uh, and again, you're if, if you're not running something that is at least somewhat different than the other side, you're not going to pull anybody over because, as as I said, why get a, a Democrat light when you can just get the full, you know, the, the full model? OK, we, we've got so you've got Trump in that race going sort of pragmatic. I think he likes Oz. He's known him for a long time. I think he personally mm-hmm. likes him, uh, too. Well, and, and I'm sure that's that in itself, the fact that he's known him for some time, because, you know, with Trump, you know, he just spent the last four plus years. Uh, you know, when he was in office, getting betrayed by people that he, he thought he knew. Um, you know, he was being sabotaged on all sides. And so I think trust for Trump is a really big thing. And if he's known him for, you know, a couple of decades, which I think is how far they go back, that's right. probably going to, probably of all of the deciding factors why Trump backed him, that is probably it. As Kathy Barnett, as you said, has said some things and done some things that you know, would make you question what exactly is going on there. And so there's just enough unknowns. Who are you going to pick? You're going to pick somebody you sort of know and sounds good on stage, or are you going to have somebody that may not have the best presentation on stage, but you know who he is. Uh, You know, his character, you know, his personality, you know, you know, you've got a pretty good idea what he really actually believes. You know, to me, that's the, that's when, when Trump is looking at to endorse that to me, I think was probably the deciding factor in that. Yeah, I I think so too, and I, I but, and of course, uh, conversely, in North Carolina, the youngest member of Congress is is running for re-election after his first term. I have never seen a candidate hit with so many scandals in such a short period of time. Uh, he's he he sexual scandals. Um, he accused the Republicans of inviting him to orgies and cocaine parties, and then he sort of retracted that. Uh, there's some very uncomplimentary photos uh, showing him engaged in homosexual uh, kind of uh, fondling with somebody else. I mean, it's it's awful. It's it's really awful stuff. But Trump is saying, you know, yeah, he's made mistakes. But he's a good guy and he deserves another shot. Mm. And um, what do you think about that one? That one seems, it, it seems like, I mean, it's almost like watching the Johnny Depp trial. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't, I have not followed him that much. I've seen the headlines where he has made these allegations. I think with the whole orgy and, and Coke parties, I, I think most people's reaction was that surprises me not one bit, uh, right. knowing what we know about Washington, D.C. Um, so it, I, I don't think that was enough to really um, shake faith in him. As far as the other things, I, I saw the headline there about the, the photos and whatnot. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I, 
it, it's it's hard to put somebody forward. I mean, if those allegations are real, you know, do you really want somebody like that in office? And yet, you know, it sounds like with the first one, he was at least trying to expose it. Um, I, I, I guess when I look at what he has allegedly done of all of the things that we know that people in Washington are willing and able to do, you know, on a scale of one to 10, that's probably a seven or eight. And we know there's far worse. So I don't know. I, I, I hate to give much of an opinion on him simply because I just don't know him. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I don't think any, I certainly don't, I hadn't really heard of, I'd heard of him a little because he was, he's in a wheelchair and he's a young yeah, and he's, a, yeah. you know, and uh, he's very handsome and he's very articulate. And um, he, it, it's, so it's, he makes good fodder. I almost feel like it's too much. It's like people going, okay, what else are you going to say about this guy? It's, it's like, yeah. it, it just, it's, it's almost, almost like a backfire kind of thing. Um, yeah. And of course, remember with Trump, there's all sorts of allegations um, about what he had allegedly done. And a lot of it just turned out to be completely not true. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you could be voting for somebody um, not necessarily, I'm not using Madison um, as an example in this, but um, what I'm saying is you could be voting for somebody that, has a stellar record, you know, they have a great public image and yet you have no idea what they are really like behind closed doors. Isn't that um, the truth? You know, so if Madison did these things or didn't he, you know, I don't know, but even the people that you think are stellar and stand out. And I mean, for heaven's sakes, how many scandals did we see in the eighties and nineties with these televangelists? Uh, you know, they were embezzling funds. They were sleeping with hookers. They were doing all sorts of things. One of my favorite That's like evangelists. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite evangelists was was caught in a scandal, and you know, you always get your faith sh- shaken on that. And it's a constant reminder of why elections matter, why elections are so important, because you are legal, you are giving somebody legal control over your life. Who do you really want to be in charge of your life? Who do you really want to have the ability to pass laws on your business? Or pass laws on freedom of speech, pass laws on Second Amendment, pass laws on, on on religion and press and so much more. You know, when you get it right down to it, elections are frightening things because you are uh, this notion that you're giving somebody who who might end up being, you know, uh, your worst enemy. You're giving them power over you. And that's what you really have. to. That's what that's that's why the Republican uh, ideology is so f- superior to the Democrat one which is we really want government to have as small a footprint in our life as possible versus what the Democrats want, which is they want to have the government to have enormous power over everything you do and now say and even think, for heaven's sakes, they now have a ministry of truth. Uh, Orwell could not be more proud, a, a ministry of truth in the White House. And they're looking at funding it with $56 billion, if I remember right. That's no small potatoes where they've got, you know, they're going to be scanning through somebody's social media you know, um, post post fact there to to see what they've been saying. No, this is about spreading disinformation. You don't you don't put out that kind of money if you're just looking to respond to a few ill timed stories or ones that may not have quite the 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 uh, the, the truth the level of truth that that you deem appropriate. No, this is about going out there planting stories. Um, so in in terms of uh, elections, yeah, you've got to be really careful who you vote for. And for heaven's sakes, too many of us wait until the last minute to even find out who we should be voting for. 
Um, I've been taking any number of calls the last few weeks in terms of, oh, okay, well, what do you think about this person? What do you think? You know, I'm, I'm happy to share my opinion, but I, I hope that I'm not the one and only source that you're getting your information from because I could be wrong on things. You've got to take responsibility over who you are giving control over your life. We, we've got to take these, these elections far more seriously because when the founding fathers first got started, you know, government was a pretty small uh, part of your life. Um, you know, they had taxes and, and, and all the rest. But in terms of uh, thousands of pages of tens of thousands of regulations, for heaven's sakes, they never imagined something like that. And, and yet this is what governs our life now. You have to we have to seize control. And it's time we start going at government with an axe uh, to start chopping this apart and getting it out of our lives. Because uh, if we continue to let this, there is no freedom left. No, that's true. And and in controlling of the information and working with social media and the, you know, including in elections and, and all this, it, it's all very, it's all very, uh, it's very dangerous and it's, it's, it's having an impact. But I think people, people are fighting back. However, in Oregon, and we, we talked a little bit about the, the turnout, it's around 20% thus far as of. Eight, yeah, 18%. Is yeah. what I saw when I downloaded it earlier. Yeah, and, eighteen. I want to say point four percent or eighteen point. And was that a, it's a Friday? No, that, that was as of today. Okay, so eighteen point four percent. And yeah, uh, um, when um, as of yesterday, uh, two days before the election, um, it was uh fourteen point one percent, I believe, and now it's up to eighteen percent. Okay, but that's really low. Yeah, for for people that follow elections. Oregon is a, and one, in fact, one of the arguments constantly used for vote by mail is that it creates higher turnout. But Oregon has always been a pretty high voter turnout state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, so that's a real low turnout for them. And they face the possibility of having the lowest turnout in a, in a, in a major primary ever. Uh, but, uh, and I'm finding more people that just aren't enthused about this this at all there's there's very few candidates that have generated enthusiasm this time and it's sort of it's 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 very very frustrating uh, i think for for a lot of people now the hottest race arguably is the one for governor in the republican primary and as you said there are there's a lot of people in that 19 is it 19 yeah yeah um and that's Really rather astounding when you, when you because the problem that we're going to see, of course, is that a lot of votes where if you had, say, Mark Thielman and uh, Bridget Barton just running, uh, they're going to end up splitting votes off of each other. Um, when you've got people like Drazen and Bob Tiernan and some of these other well-funded ones that are out there. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. The good news is, is that if you're a grassroots supporter of one of these candidates and stuff, for heaven's sakes, get out there and vote. Uh, because right you now can, you, you can make a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. And this may be a case where we see this coming down to a few hundred votes or less um, because there are so many people um, that could split this. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that um, I, I, I think. And, and when you look at the um, and I've got the figures here, yes, uh, statewide, as of um, today, the 16th, uh, it is 18.1 percent uh, total statewide. And uh, the other day it was 14. Um, it was 14. 
where's the total here? 14.7. So it's gone up less than 4%. In fact, when you look at the, the uh, incoming votes today, uh, there were only seven counties that got any votes today. There are a whole bunch of zeros in, in the other uh, 29 uh, rows here. No votes coming in today. That's kind of odd. You know, maybe they just haven't officially uh, funneled them up the chain. That could be something. But um, that that would be shocking if you had zero votes in some of these counties. But uh, you know, some of them no, are, are, are mail in ballots, not the, right. Uh, not everybody's voting in yeah. drop boxes. Right. Well, well, but you would have thought that um, because this was I downloaded this uh, about five thirty or so. Um, so oh, those, I, those, yeah, I, I do see now in very tiny, small print, it does say generated as of 1018 this morning. So they okay. haven't put in today's, even though they're counted on today's on, on the 16th, they're, they're clearly not um, all of today's. So even though I downloaded it at five, it, it uh, doesn't include anything after 10. Okay, we're talking to Mark Anderson. He's a uh, star vice by radio and a, a political analyst and he, we're looking at some of the things that are going on in Oregon because a lot of people are watching Oregon right now because it's a uh, it's a very liberal state and uh, there's some chances for some non-liberals to perhaps win some of these primary races based on what's been going on in this state where Oregon has become basically a laughing stock of the country I mean they, they you don't any political comedian, when they talk about Oregon, it's not a compliment. Yeah, usually, you, you know, right away when Oregon makes the national news, it's not going to be good news. Uh, it's not anything to be proud of. Um, no. And that just seems to be so much the case here, especially politically. But, you know, I really think that if Republicans can just get their act together um, and, and, you know, maybe that's something else to talk about is just the the massive infighting within the ORP. And once again, the ORP has proven to be absolutely useless in these primaries. Um, in terms of reaching out, I've, I've talked to a number of candidates um, off air that have gotten zero support at all from the ORP. And it's time that we start taking this seriously uh, in, in terms of getting the ORP turned around. If they can't do it, uh, it's time for a secondary organization that just pats the ORP on the head and says, thanks for your, thanks for participating, uh, but we're going to run things now. And uh, there is no reason that when you have these candidates come in that you can't surround them with uh, advisors, that you can't surround them with, uh, um, uh, I, you know, for example, I, I talked to somebody in a congressional race that um, got a terrible um, advisor, um, was telling him some of the most ridiculous things. I then checked him out and um, uh, some friends of mine uh, were able to tell me they had not heard anything good about this guy. So why is the ORP, why do they not have a list of good, qualified, Oregon-based consultants for these candidates? The moment that they declare, they say, okay, well, you're going to need marketing, you're going to need advertising, you're going to need some, uh, probably some editors and some political consultants, and here's a whole list of people that you can choose from, and and even have volunteers within the ORP that if these grassroots people want to come forward and want to run for office and they don't have a clue where to go, Rather than making them spend the first three months trying to figure things out, why not have some experts to surround them immediately, uh, some qualified ones that have been vetted by the ORP or their secondary organization, and say, here you go. Here's the kit. And here's some data, too, while we're at it. Uh, you know, th there are any number of things that the ORP could be doing to make these candidates successful, and yet they are failing miserably to do that. And if it comes down to the general election right now, I have no faith in the ORP. I have a ton of faith in Republicans. 
and the Republican voters and the Republican grassroots and all of these other Republican uh, organizations that are out there. But in terms of the ORP managing any of this, I get no sense of, of uh, I have no faith whatsoever that or any sense that they're going to have any skill to pull this out. And this is an election that we can, in fact, win uh, because of Betsy Johnson. Because if she is in there and she can bleed enough of the, the Democrats off of there and the Republicans just stick together, we can win this. We've got we've, the, the numbers shake out. Um, uh, the, yeah, the Democrats outnumber us. Yeah, the NAVs uh, outnumber us. But if they split their votes between those two, guess what? The Republican walks into office. We have got to get ourselves uh, on the playing field here instead of running around uh, helter skelter looking for our jockstrap. We can't be doing that this year. Well, you're right about the tradition of the role of the party, but the party in Oregon, because we've we've been a primary state for as long as I can remember, and even when there was just a handful of primaries, and I thought that system was better for Oregon back when we had a difference. We made a difference in who got the presidential nomination. Not only were we a week or two before the all-powerful California primary, but... Um, we, we just one of very few states that had a primary election. And so for president, so it became a, a lot of money was spent here. A lot of people came in and, and ran campaigns. But that doesn't happen anymore. So, um, but the fact is that as a result, the parties are weak. Mm-hmm. People don't give the parties money because uh-huh. they'd rather give directly to candidates and, sure. and, 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 and to and, causes. And, so, and, and I think in large part is because they don't trust the party. If if you if you're sitting on fifty thousand dollars cash, who are you going to give it to? Are you going to hand it off to the the incompetent ORP? I sure wouldn't. But how does the, how does the party say you've got a slate of nineteen Republicans running for 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 governor? How do you decide which ones you give consultants? Well, it's yeah, I I think you have a team of consultants that can that can advise um, that you know if you have a I, I think the nineteen uh, candidates caught everybody by surprise. Yeah, and maybe that's something that needs to. Get, uh, be changed at the party level is to have a little bit more control over who runs. Some of the 19, they they just obviously do not ever stand a chance. But at the same time, you never know. So let's get them some support. Let's get them. Uh, there ought to be at least a manual of something uh, that 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 these new candidates can come in and maybe they can decide. Maybe you can be laying out some qualifiers. Say, look, if you can't raise fifty thousand dollars. And the primary chances are you're not going to win uh, the primary to begin with because you won't have the funds to advertise and do all of the other things, you know, including hiring, you know, actually hiring people, not just relying on, on volunteers. Um, you, you you maybe should rethink whether or not um, you should run in the primary and maybe start with a different office. Um, we have no farm team uh, on the ORP. Um, it's just kind of whoever shows up. That's who we go with. Why are we not developing candidates? Why are we not steering yeah, people towards towards other helpful. races to say, you know what, maybe governor's not for you, but you would make a great county commissioner or yeah. you would make a great city councilor. And then once you prove yourself there, you can work your way up the ladder. Yeah, plus there's a lot of things that you can purchase. For example, you can pay, purchase mailing lists and make them available to sure. candidates running. Uh, that, yeah. that wouldn't be taking a choice. You wouldn't be making a yeah. choice in the primary and, you'd be. And, un- and, and unfortunately, we've got a situation in the ORP where the former chair, Bill Courier, is sitting on the data that he collected. He's calling it his own private information, and yet he's not sharing that with the ORP. Why on earth is that allowed to continue? Yeah, that that, is, that, that, that had to do with the recall. Um, if, for people, what um, in case people don't uh, know, he collected all that data and said that that's what he was going to do 
but now he's keeping it. He's keeping it hostage. Why is that? That was it was done using ORP volunteers. It was done under the auspices of the ORP. It had the blessing of the ORP, and yet somehow he is allowed to sit on that data rather than share, rather than give it to the ORP. Because I mean, it's like somebody working for Coca Cola and they develop a, a secret new formula and they walk away with it. I'm sorry, you did that for for Coca Cola. That's their property. So why on earth is Bill Courier allowed to sit on that data? That's reprehensible. It's that kind of dysfunctionality that w- that if I had fifty thousand dollars, there's no way I would give it to the ORP. And that's what other donors look at too. Is why should we support a, a, a dysfunctional organization? So again, I have faith in Republicans. I don't have faith in the Republican Party uh, as organized here in Oregon. And until we make changes there. Oregon won't change. I, I, there has to be some drastic changes happening within the ORP because they do, uh, whether we like it or not, they they are perceived as leaders. They have the blessings of uh, uh, state statutes and, and laws and everything else uh, that allows them to continue. But for heaven's sakes, you've got to start getting your butt in gear and, and getting getting the voters turned out, getting good qualified candidates. And there is so much that we are dysfunctional at rather than functional at. Yeah, it, it it it's a complaint that is is commonly heard, and I I think there's some good people that want to do the right things, but I I think the system is against it, and I I do think you know making having a threshold for, you know that you're you're polling at a certain number mm-hmm. before we get yes because you just don't want the money thrown away, but there are some collective things that they could make available, sure. uh, to to everybody that that's running that's under the the, the our label. Uh, speaking of that, uh, we have one we have one statewide judicial race that actually the incumbent has anybody running against her. Mm-hmm. And um, it, 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 it's been a hot race and it's getting a lot of attention. And uh, Vance, Judge Vance Day, who was thrown out of, of, of his job when he was a judge earlier on, has decided to run for the appeals court. Any instincts on what's going to happen on that, Mr. Mark Anderson? Um, I, I I would like to think Vance Day wins that, but I don't have solid enough polling access um, to, to say one way or the other on that. Um, it would be a shame if he's not elected. And the reason being is because if he is elected, he will be the only strict constitutionalist on our court of appeals. And doesn't that just horrify you that all of the other judges that are there are not constitutionalists? Uh, that's because they were all appointed. Yeah. By um, Democrats. Yep. And I I think we really need um, a Republican there. I think we need somebody that actually believes in following the Constitution. And, you know, I, I had interviewed Vance Day a few weeks back and I was talking with him. And I said, you know, you were essentially kicked off of, of your um your judgeship there. Um, it wasn't quite that way, but um, that's kind of the, the nutshell version of things. And I said, the irony here is that they wanted to remove you for exercising your First Amendment uh, rights because you didn't want to marry uh, these these gay couples. And, you know, that was you know part of your, your Christian belief. Uh, I'm right there with you. Um, but now you've had the Supreme Court saying, yes, that uh, Baker in Colorado absolutely could refuse to bake a cake. So why is it that that baker has more rights than you as a judge? And isn't that ironic that the Supreme Court uh, of Oregon has never come back and said, you know, we really apologize. Clearly, the U.S. Supreme Court would have sided with you had you had you chosen to fight this. 
they really owe an apology. Um, the, the, the Oregon Supreme Court does. And so I would love to see Vance Day win that. And this is, again, why turnout is so important right now uh, for anybody out there listening that you haven't turned your ballot in. For heaven's sakes, get it in there and mark Vance Day on there because turnout has been so abysmally low. You could be advancing uh, Judge Day and get an actual constitutionalist on our court of appeals. For heaven's sakes, we need that. Yeah, I think it's, I think he has a shot, and I don't usually say that because um, judicial races are usually so low profile. And but he's campaigned hard. He's been in all the yeah. counties. Yep. He's gone around the state. People know him more than they, you know, ask people to name one judge in Oregon, and they can't do it unless they're lawyers. Right. Um. But they know Vance Day, and some of them hate him for the reasons you've just outlined, uh, but others revere him be- yeah. for the reasons you've outlined. Well, uh, and, and he stood up for his beliefs, and we need judges that are willing to do that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I really hope that he does win this. Um, as you say, he's he's been out there campaigning like like a dog. And so, yeah, that would be great. And again, with low turnout. Which most judicial candidates do not do. No, they, no. In fact, they, they think it's undignified. They, a lot of them won't even run ads, which is kind of shocking. Um, yeah. That, they don't but, have uh, to. Yeah. They're on the post. Yeah, a lot of times they are, that's very true. But, you know, with Vance Day, who knows? This might be the year that people are just done with status quo. And you look at that incumbent and say, not this year. Sorry, not this year. Yeah. And with the, if the vote, the turnout is low, it seems like the people that do turn out might be more motivated. Yes. Say, yeah, um, and I, th- I think that's actually a really interesting point because uh, this is something uh, my producer, Carla Davenport, mentioned, was that when you look at the low turnout, one of the things that is really shocking when you think about it is normally at this point, Democrats have turned in most of their ballots because they vote before Election Day. Republicans, you know, their turnout historically is pretty low because they vote on Election Day. So we'll probably see a pretty surge, a pretty big surge uh, tomorrow, I'm sure. Um because there's a lot of late deciders and, and whatnot. But um, it's interesting to see Democrat participation so low this late into the primary. And well, I think that says a lot about the thinking of Democrats right now. I think they're very dispirited uh, this year. And it might be, as you know, as you say, in, in terms of uh, turning out the, the um, their base, it might be that these so-called normal Democrats, the ones that aren't crazy, uh, they're just not turning out. They're just not excited, as we said earlier in the program. And this could I mean, you look at the race there in the in the fifth congressional with uh, Kurt Schrader's race. That could really be interesting, because um, if if those normal Democrats don't turn out, he could be gone. And only the rabid ones, the, the really, truly far left ones that want to destroy America uh, and Schrader just isn't that crazy. So they're going to vote for the other one. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting race. I was surprised when I saw, and I think it was the only candidate he did for when when Biden came out here to Oregon, uh, and he cut a commercial endorsing Schrader. And I don't think that's a plus. No, not this year. Biden really has become the face of dispirited America, and yeah. I just I just don't think that his endorsement is going to really drive people to the polls. So, yeah, that could actually be the kiss of death, ironically enough. I mean, a lot of people, I, I think, may may have cut out. I haven't heard of anybody else having, certainly in Oregon, nobody didn't cut a commercial for anybody else. And I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, 
Stacey Abrams, she had a conflict when he was going to be in her state. I mean, nobody, mm-hmm. you're a Democrat candidate. You don't turn down the, the president of the United States. You just don't, of your party. You just don't do that unless mm-hmm. you really think it's, he's it's a massive albatross. And um, so it, it's, it, it is interesting. But also uh, Schrader, who's sort of a milk toasty kind of member of Congress. He's not known as a firebrand or anything like that. He's taken out some uh, pretty hard hit ads mm. as well, which I've never seen him do before. Have you? No, he tends not to do that. Um, I used to be in his district and you're, you're right. He's kind of milk toasty. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not inspiring. Certainly not somebody that you can imagine leading troops up the hill. No, <laughs> I just. I just never saw that in him. Um, he was just kind of go along to get along and uh, putter along. And, you know, that was it. That was Schrader. Um, I I never personally met him, but um, he was just, like you say, just sort of a middle of the road guy. And that's not what Democrats want this year. Not the rabid ones that are out there. That, 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 you know, and that fits really, the Oregon Democrats. Oregon yeah. Democrats are far left. Yeah, they can be. I don't know that they're quite that way up in the Bend area, um, but certainly, yeah, the Portland area. And of course, now all of those districts magically touch um, uh, Portland, thanks to Christine Drazen blowing that redistricting. Uh, we now have four districts that that stem uh, as their starting point coming out of Portland. So, um, yeah, it could be a really interesting race with Schrader. You know, getting back to the, the, the turnout, one of the other things uh, that is really interesting is not just the fact that, that Democrats are not um, leading Republicans, and, and usually they're leading at this point by 10, 15 percent or more. They're actually behind Republican turnout uh, as of uh, 10, 18 this morning. It was 24.8 for Republicans and to only 24.6 for Democrats. And that's very unusual uh, at this stage of, of the race because Republicans tend to save their ballots for that last day. Democrats have voted uh, long before uh, 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 election day and to be actually down to Republicans by 0.2%. That's pretty amazing because normally they'd be up by 10 or 15 right now. No. And, and if you, as you have, I know if you studied the patterns of the elections, it used to be before vote by mail that absentee ballots, which you had to specifically request because you were going to be out of town on election day, uh, you, you have surgery or you know, you're being proactive so that you made sure you got to vote because you weren't going to be available to show up at the polls. Those were overwhelmingly Republican, yeah. overwhelmingly, because those were people that were motivated and organized and, you know, as individuals. Since vote by mail, the early vote, which is lately it's been about 50 percent of the people who show up for the polls entirety vote on Election Day mm-hmm. in a vote by mail state. But but you're right. The vast numbers of those early ones are Democrats because there's a lot of harvesting of votes and collecting of votes and, and, and group voting, per se. Uh, so they come in in mass early on. And so the Democrats can know where they stand and what numbers they have to get and not estimate on Election Day, even though they have a big get out the vote in big, heavily Democratic areas, Multnomah County, Portland area, and in the Eugene area, and, and parts of Marion County, where the state government operates out of, they have big get-out-the-votes for Election Day votes in a state that's vote-by-mail. Of course, we've got the ballots can come in up to seven days after uh, Election Day, as long as they have the Election Day stamp on it. But they take the ballots out of the envelopes. There's no yeah. way to 
it's very so so those patterns of changing so the democrats may be you know organizing for massive get out of vote on election day and when you have a massive vote in a very low turnout you can a thousand votes could change everything sure yep and that's why i say that these grassroots candidates they might very well sneak out some wins here because of the fact that uh, their base was energized to turn out. And right now, apparently nobody is energized to turn out. Um, uh, it, it is interesting when you look back at the history of turnout in 2018, that was the lowest uh, total percentage wise uh, going back to 1960 was in 2018, 33.91%. And that was just four years ago. And now I'm not even sure we're going to break 30% uh, at this rate. Here we are the day before the election, um, and you've got 18.1% as of the morning before. Uh, you, yeah, we're probably going to see a big surge tomorrow, but I, I'm not sure that we can make up 12% in one day. Uh, I don't know. Um, we'll see. But, um, yeah, 33.9% uh, is pretty low. And that's why your vote really counts so much more in the primary yes. because of, of that turnout. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, and again, people just have to take this seriously. You're deciding well, this opportunity with all these ballot boxes and with mm-hmm. another week to get the, the votes in. I mean, they say it has to be in by Election Day. Yeah. And, it's, well, it's pretty- and, and, and Dennis Litticum, uh had said that it's more than just the week that's going on is that it's up to the county clerks who apparently have the. Now, legal ability to decide whether or not they may or may not count votes. Uh, And that's rather shocking, you know, the ones that come in late. And uh, I think that's horrible that we've now delayed this for a week. Um, You know, and maybe that's why the Democrats haven't turned out. They're waiting to see who's got the lead election night and they're going to suddenly scramble to get out the vote uh, um, and and then push their guy into the lead. Yeah, that, so, could, that could be part of their strategy, finding how the, many they the need, is, get yeah, them out. Well, and the thing is, of course, we can do that on the Republican side as well. So that extra but, week really changes things. It really does. And it's unfortunate that it does because it just opens the, the door to cheating. And, you know, maybe that's the other reason why uh, election or, or turnout right now is so low is people just simply don't trust the system. Uh, we've seen enough. Um, I have not seen 2,000 mules yet. I'm going to be seeing it next week, I think. Um Everything that I've heard about that says, oh, my gosh, uh, it is clear that they stole the election. Uh, so we'll we'll see. And uh, I guess one of the I think it was a Michigan judge, maybe in Wisconsin. Uh, one of the two now has opened an active case. I know that one of the uh, AGs that is mentioned in the, in the movie uh, in Arizona is now looking at voter fraud. So I think these kinds of things are slowly waking people up. And I think right now there's a big mood uh, for, for a lot of people that just don't trust the system. But sitting it out is not the answer at this point. No, this especially is the only system we have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And sitting it out is essentially giving permission for the cheaters to cheat because they can use your ballot and say, oh, look, they actually uh, voted for this person. That's how they cheated in, in, in the 2020 election. Uh, so don't sit it out. That's an invitation for fraud. Get your vote in there and, and get it counted. Yeah, and make sure – and then you can check to see that your vote was counted. It, yep. it was it was included at, uh, on the website, but it 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 is going to be interesting because when I think see the low turnout, but I think one of the thing one of the reasons for the low turnout is just the the malaise in this state and the lack of uh, 
of, of candidates that really excite people. Uh, and some of the most exciting candidates in some cases, people don't know them because they haven't got the money or they haven't done yeah. the, the, the thing. And I think the Democrats ba- basically getting people out of the race that potentially could by using residency requirements and different rulings and the, you know, the, uh, the secretary of state and the courts working together with the governor's office and everything. They, they basically have greased the skids for the candidates. They want to get the nominations mm-hmm. in the major races in there. Yeah. And um, so that, so they can sit back and primaries aren't that big of a concern to them. I, I think it, it could be different in the fall, in terms of, but it's going to be interesting to see, how much um, shenanigans happen because they're all the signs are pretty obvious when it does. We just opt not to look at them in Oregon. Yeah, there is an interesting court case bubbling right now in Washington County. And um, a voter had wanted to get access to the data. Washington County said no. And so the uh, voter complained, um, ran up the, the, the legal flagpole there. And the Washington County DA said, yeah, he's uh, he's absolutely within his rights. You need to give them that data. Now, Washington County has decided they're going to sue to prevent that. So if we have an election that's open and fair and honest and everybody and this is, of course, the 2020 election and uh, everybody knows that Joe Biden never cheated. uh, So then why are you hiding the data? People that cheat don't hide things and don't go to court to hide things. And so. I think it's pretty obvious that something happened there within Washington County that they don't want people looking at. And what they're claiming right now is that, oh, if we give you this proprietary information, it might create a security breach. And so people could access um, the voter rolls or access some other election uh, information. Well, I'm sorry. So if you're saying that it can be accessed, how do we know that it was not accessed? Aren't you just admitting that there was the potential for fraud? Aren't you just admitting that you don't want people to look because there could be fraud if it was honest and fair and open and, and fair and all that, uh, all the other accolades that the Democrats want to say that it was the most secure election in, in history? OK, show us. But instead, yeah. they're, they're actually taking him to court and want to charge him legal fees. And of course, now we know how that's going to work because we see that with the left and, and their environmental uh, uh, shenanigans all the time is they will run up all of these. Um, they're going to drag their feet now and run up all of these legal fees that this poor guy who just wants access to the data. Um, and, Can't afford. And, yeah, he's not going to be able to afford those. They're going to uh, uh, cost him a fortune. And, of course, the, the government doesn't care because they don't pay for it themselves one way or the other. They get paid by the government to, to then charge this guy, and then they're going to they're, they're gonna get him to pay their fees. This is absurd. Yeah, and it re- really you, is. You, it's clear that they are hiding something. Because you don't go to this kind of effort if you're not hiding something. No, like you say, if, if you're if you're very confident that everything was on the up and up and done by the straight and narrow, and and Oregon sure. has been you know been questioned for, for over 20 years since we've had vote by mail, sure, um, and, and it's become a pilot project for how to yeah. mess things Would, up in many wouldn't cases. Wouldn't you want them to see? Yes. If, yes, if there's I would. doubt in people's minds, and that's the thing is there is widespread doubt, not just here in Oregon, but all across the nation, doubt about our election cycle, uh, uh, our election security and, and our, our elections, you know, um, the, the whole process. Wouldn't you want them to see? Because if you want people to trust you, you don't hide things behind your back. You say, look, this is what happened. Yeah. Here's the couch. Up, Here's how we got this. Come watch Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You Come would be proud it. of it. You'd be yeah. proud of it, not 
threatening somebody with legal that, the, the, the DA race in Washington County is supposed to be a pretty hot one itself because it's one of those order, those ones of, you know, DAs that let prisoners go on, you know, social justice and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's it, there's some, some interesting things happening out there and it will be interesting to see what happens. I appreciate Mark Anderson of iSpy Radio coming on and giving his thoughts and analysis on not only what's going to happen in Oregon, but also what's going to happen on the national scene. I do think there there is a lot of malaise out there. I really do. And and the fact is people I, I think one of the things with, with conservatives in Oregon, we tend to think why vote? You know, because because we I haven't we don't I don't even have I haven't had for at least twenty years a candidate in the Republican Party run for my House or Oregon House or Senate seat. It can't win. I just can't. And, and so I don't even get to vote for a Republican in, uh, in, I don't even vote in those races. I, why should I? I mean, there's nobody to vote for. And I like to vote for people. But uh, that's pretty frustrating. But I think more people would run. And I think if, if, if the system was, was, but Portland is, Portland is pretty hard. You don't even run if you're not. All right. We're going to be joined by Dr. Gordon Folks to give us some real science, not some of this mumbo jumbo, just like Mark Anderson on his show. Tell people how they can listen to you, Mark. Sure. Uh, we are on uh, seven stations now around the state. Uh, you can go to iSpy Radio. That's the letter I, not the thing you do the spying with. iSpyRadio.com. And on the About page, it has links to all of the stations. It shows you the map. Um, and then you can, most of those uh, do live stream. But if you missed it, you can always go to the podcast. Uh, we have those up by Mondays, but um, it also then will filter down to all of the uh, the top podcasting platforms as well. It's a very excellent show. I, we highly recommend it. Thank Mark. Thanks, Mark. What are you doing for election night? Um, probably just sitting at home and watching the next week come in. <laughs> yeah, watching next week. All right, Mark Anderson. and and listening to the Jane Carroll show. Excellent. We're going to be on till 10 o'clock tomorrow night. So mm-hmm. it will be an extended show. Thank you so much and have a, have a good, be safe and vote. vote. Have you voted yet? I, I always turn mine in the last day because you never know what's out there. But That's uh, what I do too. I just yeah. bring it in personally. But I, like I really think this is a year to be excited because I think this is a year that if Republicans just stick together, we can win this. All right. I like your attitude, Mark Anderson. All right. Let's go over and welcome to uh, one of your favorite guests, a man of science and who provides us with facts and information and also talks about the politics of science in, in, in our present culture. Uh, Dr. Gordon Folks is here with us and he's going to tell us about it's pretty cold out there, Dr. Folks, in, in Oregon. Where's all the global warming? Well, it was a beautiful day today, though. Did you? Did you get out there and, and and absorb some of the sunshine and the warmth? Uh, it was quite amazing. I went out and cut the grass because I haven't been able to do that for a long time. And I've got one of these uh, zero-turn mowers that uh, makes short work of a fairly large lawn. I live out in the country, so I have quite a bit of grass to cut. But as I was driving this, which has no steering wheel, it's kind of an odd machine, it has no steering wheel, I got to thinking about what other vehicles uh, are out there, important vehicles that are out there, that have no steering wheel. How do you manage to uh, move it around? How do you manage to turn it? Well, uh, it operates on the same principle as a tank, where the tank operator operates the tread on the left side with one lever and the tread on the right side with another lever. Uh, That 
got me to thinking about all the tanks that are running across uh, uh, the Ukraine right now, the Russian tanks, and how uh, uh, the shortest life expectancy of anyone on the planet right now is a Russian tank driver operating one of these lever tanks that, uh, where you see in some of the pictures that have been presented from drones, you see them frantically trying to get away once the Ukrainians have them in sight with the U.S. missiles that take them out one by one. So it is uh, uh, something that uh, on a nice day in Portland when I'm driving around cutting my grass, I realize that uh, it's a very dangerous profession to be in a tank right now. They are probably obsolete, and the U.S. weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians are proving that. But you, weather. Weather is what we live here, and we happily don't live in Ukraine. The weather has been unusual on uh, this spring, uh, particularly last month. We touched on that a little bit uh, well, when we talked last time, because I think we had just uh, been through the uh, snowfall in Portland, the first snowfall ever recorded at the Portland airport. There have been snows previously in April, but they were prior to 1940. So uh, all the way back more than 80 years, there had been no snow on the uh, valley floor in Portland, and there was this year. But that was only part of the April story. There was really much more going on there. Um, there was certainly a massive increase in the snow base on Mount Hood where it went from below normal to suddenly above normal in April. It was quite a fantastic year that way. Uh, and that was due to what in Portland was mostly uh, rainfall. There was some snow, but uh, we had record precipitation on two days of that month, so it was notable for that. By the end of the month, uh, uh, Matt Safino, who is a pretty good TV weatherman was willing to admit that we had record rainfall uh, for Portland uh, in the face of these predictions from Oregon State University that we were in perpetual drought. In fact, uh, it rained more this April than it ever has, again, probably in data at the Portland airport, so 80 years. Um, I added to that that uh, uh, in terms of coldness, uh, Portland was at, uh, in last April last month, uh, uh, among the 10 coldest Aprils on record. Uh, that was compared to last year when April was uh, among the 10 warmest on record. So we've gone from warmest to coldest, which is not unusual, but I guess the alarmists would make something out of that. Well, so I kind of forgot about it at that point. And uh, Cliff Mass wrote on his weather blog, he's a professor of meteorology at the University of Washington, and a guy, although he's an alarmist, he's a very moderate alarmist, if that's not too much of a contradiction in terms of <laughs> He loves to point out where, where the other side is uh, um, uh, coming up short. And he had found, which I had not, that uh, um, uh, this April was the coldest April in the satellite record, uh, which would mean back to 1979. And I looked at that and thought, gee, that's really that's something that's even more important than what I've been saying. And then I looked back, and his second coldest was 2011. And I remember that year because that was a year when my tomatoes remained green into September. And I was kind of annoyed about the whole thing. It certainly had a very cold uh, um, uh, spring that year and into the summer. So I uh, then looked back at... Uh, 
Cliffs data, and it showed that 2011 was the second coldest. I had uh, remembered it uh, for a slightly different, I think it was for the Willamette Valley, that it was uh, was second coldest. Okay, so what happened this year? Um, uh, with 2011 now reading the, the uh, coldest in the NOAA record for April, May, and June for the Willamette Valley, uh, and Cliffs data showing that April, May, and June were colder than 2011. I wonder if it's possible to break uh, that record this year. In other words, are we on track to, for another 2011? That was the point at which we had another uh, La Nina. This time we have a more significant La Nina, and we have a negative Pacific Decadal Oscillation, which puts us into a substantial cold phase of the ENSO uh, cycle, which is the cycle that is determined primarily by the uh, water temperature off the coast of Peru, right at the equator, stretching all the way back practically to Australia. When that turns cold, and we don't really mean cold, we mean just a little cooler than normal, the, uh, it has a profound effect on the world's weather, has a profound effect on us. And we're certainly noticing that this year. So does this mean from a cliff standpoint that the uh, uh, alarmism is wrong, that we're headed to cold? Well, we probably are headed to cold, but in this particular instance with this substantial cold over the Pacific Northwest, there was an equivalent warmth over, as he pointed out, Kazakhstan in South Asia. So, uh, um, no, there's no, the global temperature is just about normal. It's a quarter of a degree above normal right now. So you have to have, for every substantial cold spot, you have to have a substantial warm spot or it doesn't balance out. So what's the bottom line here? Bottom line is that weather's interesting, and this is weather, not climate. Uh, the climate has not warmed very much. It has warmed a little bit. There is nothing catastrophic going on. So that's kind of the weather report and the climate report all in uh, one uh, uh, short uh, description here. That doesn't stop the UN IPCC and all of the alarmists for, uh, from saying that we are constantly warming and that we're near a critical point where uh, there is no we're past the point of no return. They never say that. They say we're just about at the point of no return. If we don't shape up soon, we will uh, go there and beyond there. Well, that's all alarmism, and each one of their reports gets worse as the climate, uh, in fact, cools a little bit from the massive uh, El Nino in 2016. So nothing to worry about. This is what makes weather interesting. This is what keeps uh, professors at the University of Washington uh, interested in their subject uh, because it's pretty hard to say exactly what it's going to do next, except more of the same, more cyclical weather. So that's my little speech on yeah. weather. Uh, do you enjoy the, the weather? Well, today was nice. It was it, it was nice, but it, it it seemed a bit cold for the spring, and of course we had that horrific heat wave in the summer, uh, which was miserable for everybody and and record setting. But they acted like that was going to be the norm of from here on out, and and of course the Biden administration has basically adopted the new Green Deal as their as what they're going to do, and it appears that the uh, people in elected office in Congress, for the most part, are moving from farther and farther to the left on issues like the New Green Deal. And rather than uh, more towards 
reasonable looking at the things with a fair and open mind they're they're calling for more and more expenditures of our monies more and more um, you know support financial support of of electric cars except for tesla because owned by Elon Musk and we don't like Elon Musk. Uh, so it's it's uh, it Democrat Party, which right now has control of, of everything in, in Washington, D.C., they're moving more and more towards this new Green Deal that it seems like it's getting less and less popular with each passing day. Your thoughts? Well, that's because the price of gas has gone so high, which is a result of uh, – uh, Biden cutting back on uh, oil exploration in this country and then pretending that he's putting some of it back in when he's keeping the uh, uh, the most important areas uh, uh, out of the lease agreements and whatever to try and stifle our production of energy. Now, I think originally when he came into office, he thought he'd buy the energy from someone else. And when the price of gas has gone very high, he was after Iran to pump more oil. He was after Venezuela to pump more oil. All of the rogue regimes out there, and I think, well, for a long while, we were buying uh, petroleum products from Russia also. So he wanted to kind of go that route. And he was trying to get them to get Iran to produce more. I mean, uh, Iran to produce more, so so we could get some fund their uh, their war against us. Uh, it's 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 insanity. Yet, I do t- hear more people going because of the gas prices. I've got to get an electric car. I've got to. I can't afford this. I've got to get an electric car. Now, number one, electric cars are very expensive, and number two, the other thing that I'm starting to hear is I don't. There's no places for me to charge my car. So there's, there's a sort of a conflicting thing, but people think that the, the panacea will be to have an electric car so they won't have to buy gasoline. Yet the fact is, if if everybody had an electric car, the dearth of opportunities to charge that car would make these gas price days look like the good old days. Well, and look at how much uh, the price of electricity is escalating these days. Uh, right. Uh, we pay close to 14 cents a kilowatt hour now in Portland because of their woke behavior with all, putting in all of these windmills, which are not economical at all. Uh, if you go over to Clark County and you want to charge up your electric car, you'll find the price is uh, not 14 cents a kilowatt hour, but 8 cents a kilowatt hour, because they haven't signed up for all the nonsense. And uh, that was what I think I mentioned last time with Angus Duncan, that he was touting his electric vehicle, which he could fill up for uh, little money. But he was filling it up in Vancouver. He wasn't paying for, uh, for the electricity produced by windmills that Portland General Electric sells here. So if he uh, uh, wants to, to live off of uh, uh, a natural gas-fired power in Clark County, which is about half natural gas and half uh, uh, hydro, uh, then uh, that's fine. Then it's economical. But if he comes back over here to Portland, he's going to find that the price of power is going up rapidly. I, I have some property in Clark County, and I've been pleased that Clark Public Utilities has not raised rates in a long time. Uh, Portland General Electric raises rates every chance they get, and they're now uh, uh, well above the national average in price of power, which is absurd for our area, which for a long while had such advantageous prices on, on power and therefore had more industry that wasn't practical in other parts of the country. 
But now nothing is practical in Portland, and generally the Biden administration is ruining everything that uh, uh, Donald Trump left them in good working order. Uh, the war in Ukraine, of course, uh, is impacting everything here, but uh, uh, Biden was well on his way to, to uh, damaging uh, our uh, energy infrastructure uh, long before Putin charged into Ukraine. So it's all at Biden's feet at this point, but to hear him talk about it, it's Putin's problem or it's uh, Donald Trump's problem. No, nothing is ever his problem anymore. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. Uh, in New York Post, they were reporting on the Green New Deal's impact on, on New Yorkers, and they're claiming New Yorkers will have to pay hundreds of billions of dollars in higher utility bills through the state's Green New Deal-inspired plan. According to top energy regulatory official who accused lawmakers of hiding the true cost of the bill, John Howard, former chairman and current member of the State Public Service Commission, uh, claimed former Governor Andrew Cuomo and the Democrat-run legislature never leveled with the public on the cost associated with the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act approved in 2019. Howard, uh, during this uh, session on Thursday, said local Pauls totally obfuscated the cost of the plan because the sticker shock would have made the initiative unpopular. The law, which Cuomo signed in a ceremony with Al Gore to decide, always special, requires New York to slash greenhouse emissions by 40% by 2030 and no less than 85% by 2050 by transitioning from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources such as hydropower, solar, and wind. The State Climate Action Council, meanwhile, is charged with developing a plan to put the state on a path toward zero carbon emissions. Uh, he's saying this costs a great cost. It won't. It won't happen. Um, and by the way, Oregon is, you, you look at the national, every morning they report the national average of, of, of gasoline, uh, and, and we're way above that. Why are we way above it? Well, we're way above it because we're kind of off in one corner of the country and we don't have access to the multiple sources of gasoline that they have elsewhere. Along the uh, uh, East Coast, they can import uh, oil and gasoline from many sources, including from Texas or from uh, refineries in Europe. So they have lots of choices yeah, and have historically had uh, cheaper prices. But, but in addition to that, for example, in Portland, uh, several years ago, they added 10 cents a gallon to just if you buy your gas in Portland, uh, which, you know, adds up uh, if you buy it. Um, we refuse to buy our gasoline in Portland. Because it's offensive. And I do it doesn't too. Go to anything. Well, in Clark County, yeah. you don't pay all the taxes. Yeah. So anyhow, we, yeah. But we 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 spend, we wait to go outside the city limits, and then when we're there, we that's when we buy gas. But the the fact is that this this idea that somehow this is going to be environmentally more sound and a lot cheaper, which is the illusion they give, uh, the misimpression that they give on these things. Um, and, and and electric cars will all be subsidized, and so you won't have to pay for the the true cost. And eventually, by the time you get one, uh, you know you'll you'll be able to run on one charge for weeks. That's sort of the even though that's not the case right now. I mean, a lot of people who have electric cars are pretty frustrated with them. Um, but there does seem to be an awakening to the fact that windmills and et cetera are not going to meet the needs. But that's as we've talked about on many occasions, Doctor Folks. 
the fact is that a lot of these universities that do these studies and get these massive federal grants to come up with the right conclusion that this will be the panacea to everything is not, is not um, been as truthful with the American people or the, or the world community and the consumption of energy as they need to be. Not at all honest about it, not at all. For instance, <clears throat> windmills provide electricity about one-third of the time. That's when the wind is blowing sufficiently to turn the windmills over. That means two-thirds of the time, and erratically, not, uh, not on a, a planned basis, you have to have um, alternate power kick in very quickly. We're lucky in the Northwest to have hydro, which can do it, although it's getting maxed out for that purpose now. So elsewhere and even here now with Portland General Electric, they're putting in quick start natural gas power plants, which are thermal plants. They're not these jet engine sort of turbine natural gas power plants like they have in Clark County. The one, uh, one at Clark Public Utilities is, uh, uh, is twice as efficient as what Portland General Electric is putting in. What that means is that uh, when you run a system of windmills and backup uh, uh, natural gas but low efficiency natural gas power in Portland, you are using more natural gas than Clark Public Utilities is with their jet engine plant run 24-7. Uh, so even the, the basic promise of less use of fossil fuel is not fulfilled by these windmills, and people don't realize that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, especially people that are being educated in our our, our government schools, they they think it's it's free. It's 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 going to be easy, accessible, and it'll be clean. And so why not? That they don't see any right. trade offs. Once, once we build all. the windmills, the way, the way the thoughts go, particularly with Democrats down in Salem, is that once you build these windmills, you have free power forever afterwards. But as we said, with the natural gas backup, that's not true at all. <clears throat> and then the other problem is they don't last very long. The typical coal-fired power plant or natural gas-fired power plant or nuclear power plant lasts at least 40 years. The typical windmill, you're lucky to get 20 years out of it. So you have to replace the hardware, and there's an awful lot more hardware to replace. Uh, and it's distributed all over the countryside. It uses massive amounts of material, a lot of it imported from China. What is not imported from China, like the uh, massive amounts of cement that, are, that have to be used in the ground to keep these things from blowing away, uh, are substantial contributors to the human carbon footprint because you have to drive, basically drive uh, carbon dioxide off of uh, uh, the uh, um, limestone that is used to produce the uh, uh, cement. So that's a significant source of carbon emissions right there, the uh, manufacture of cement. None of this makes sense, and we could go on for an hour here talking about the things that don't make sense. The better thing would be to say, what does make sense? And Maybe a few windmills, as long as they don't contribute more than a few percent to the power, make some sense. It's nice to have, uh, nice to try out that technology and see if you can perfect it. But that's as far as you want to go. You need to learn from uh, building these that they really don't work, that anybody that has to pay the entire cost of them uh, isn't willing to do it. 
You can also look at examples around the world. There was something in the news uh, just the other day about uh, um, uh, Greenpeace's efforts in uh, Africa to put in uh, a solar-powered village to convert a village that wasn't on the grid, on the Indian grid, to uh, uh, utilize uh, solar power. So they put in the solar panels, they built a huge facility with batteries, and it was supposed to uh, last for a long while. Well, after a year, many people kind of backed off of that, didn't want to pay the high costs, and there were high costs for poor people, which just doesn't compute. Within three years, <clears throat> they had to shut everything down because the batteries had failed, and these people didn't know how to deal with that and didn't have the money to put in uh, <clears throat> new batteries to keep the whole facility going. So the bottom line is today uh, they are connected to the coal-fired uh, Indian power grid and they are happy because they are getting uh, cheap power. And what about the solar facility? Well, it's now used as a cattle shed. It has solar panels on the roof that don't produce any electricity and cows wandering underneath uh, using that for shelter. So that's kind of the way this goes if there's nobody to keep paying the bills. And that's what happened in uh, in India. Greenpeace left and the locals uh, uh, didn't know how to do it and didn't have the money to keep the, the facility going. But they do have the ability to connect to the coal-fired power grid, and they do have the ability to pay for power produced that way. So uh, the market there uh, uh, in India took care of that problem. And I think that's what happens here eventually. You have uh, uh, places like New York that uh, are getting to be outrageously expensive. People uh, uh, leave New York and go to Florida where prices are more reasonable and the politics is more reasonable. But at some point that gets so far out of hand with New York that uh, uh, Republicans, and there are some Republicans in New York, uh, uh, do win uh, political races and uh, change the program around. But that's after an awful lot of damage has been done, and that's after the leftists have uh, made themselves rich and all of their friends rich off this business of uh, green energy, which is a false uh, promise. It is not green energy. The, uh, real quickly, because we're running out of time, but the Energy Trust of Oregon, uh, which is... Uh, which claims its purpose is to help people save energy and, and be more uh, environmentally responsible and have incentives uh, to do this. And uh, part of our bills that we pay to the utilities go to this very powerful group. I mean, Energy Trust of, of Oregon. Has it, made a, has it made a difference and has it made uh, Oregon more energy independent? Well, I think that's true. What they have done is they have helped those of us who uh, are uh, who love to uh, play with new technologies to try them out. Uh, I don't know if they do anything with electric cars, but those are certainly something that appeal to the elitists. They don't appeal to the average guy. Uh, the way they have helped me was that they provided a um, uh, what do I want to say, a heat pump hot water heater for very little money. I bought it for less than the cost of, a, of replacing my uh, uh, normal electric hot water heater, and it cut my use of electricity way down. Of course, it cools off my basement to make it downright cold, but uh, it works uh, beautifully at reducing my uh, electric bill. Now, I should have purchased that on the open market, realizing that it was an economic advantage for me to do so. But if 
the Energy Trust of Oregon is providing uh, free toys. I'm willing to take advantage of them, and then you're willing to pay those few cents on your electric bill to help me enjoy my new toys. I mean, that's just the way it works. So I, I was wondering if Am you I were being the ones too getting all that, with all, free, that? <laughs> all, the, all those free stuff. I, Dr. Gordon, well, I can't think of a better person than to benefit from the Oregon Energy Trust. <laughs> Somehow that makes me feel better. <laughs> but no, I, I'm I'm very dubious of that organization and how it operates and, and all the power that it has. And I'm not talking about uh, energy power. I'm talking about political power. It's very, it's very... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't trust it. So, so, but you did get well, something good Jane, out of it. They're passing out benefits to people they think support them. And right. that's the, the way Democrats work, is they're always passing out benefits and expecting you to come and vote for them uh, either tomorrow or in November or whatever, uh, because they're giving you more advantages than the Republicans are. But it's a false promise. Yeah, well, and but Very politically, false. it's not a false promise. And and for example, the no. people at, at PGE and PPNL, et cetera, they they give major donations to political candidates. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a trade off uh, way. And then in turn, they get financial incentives from this energy trust corporation through the. It's 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 a pretty. Uh, I would love to see somebody do a real thorough investigation into that because I think it's scandalous, but that's another yeah, topic years for ago, another show. Uh, Jane, years ago, uh, uh, one of the uh, board members of Portland General Electric uh, was expressing doubts about the climate nonsense and wanted to have me come and talk to the board of directors. And he also wanted to have Phil Moak come and talk to the board of directors. Well, they set everything up and we were all ready to do it. And then I got a call saying it had all been canceled. Uh, I don't know whether Phil had anything to do with that, but he certainly did in terms of cancellation of our presentation at OMSI about a decade ago, where they really didn't want our perspective out there. This is part of the cancel culture, not only canceling me, but canceling my ideas, trying to put down what they think is disinformation, but what is really just information contrary to what they're putting out. And the upshot of it was with Portland General Electric that Portland that the electric company has not listened to uh, uh, scientists expressing views different than those of Phil Moat. And that's the way these people operate. Yeah, and it's really it's scandalous. And I think we're getting more of a sense of how people are censored and gagged. Uh, you've been going through it for a long time uh, as you try to bring factual scientific information to the public for their consideration and uh, and help them in formulating some of the true things that are going on out there. But uh, it's really amazing. You know, we keep looking, you hear people complain about Russia and China and how they don't get any information. Well, you know, we we may need a mirror sometimes. I don't think people realize what's been going on in this country for, for a long, long time. You've been a victim of it, but I always love having you on Dr. Folks. And I'm glad you enjoyed the beautiful weather. And uh, we'll look forward to our next time that we get to be enlightened by your wisdom. Thank you. Let's hope that we're headed into spring at this point for for good. Yeah, we'll be, I like spring. I like spring. Fall and spring are my favorite times. <laughs> so I, I look forward to it. All right. Thank you, Dr. Folks. And have you voted? No, I haven't. I've got. To, that's what I do after this program. My wife and I have to sit down and figure things out. Who should I vote yeah, you for? Do- a vote no. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I, I do I'm the same like you. I vote on election day. I forget it on election day. I like to see how it turn out. I just, developments could happen that you know that you don't know about until the last minute. I vote. I always vote on election day, uh, regardless of, uh, of of vote by mail. I don't trust vote by mail, so I I vote by election day. Plus, I think it's a nice nice tradition. So I'm not going to find out who you're going to vote for. And I, I think my audience sort of knows who I'm going to vote for. So we'll go with that. Have a good evening, and thank <laughs> you very much so. as always. Take care. As we said earlier with Mark Anderson and Mark, it, uh, the turnout is very low in Oregon. So your vote, getting it in, is important because you may not be as inspired or as energetic or as hopeful and optimistic as you may have been in the past when you turn in your ballot. But uh, it's actually probably going to count for more because there's fewer people voting. And so a few hundred votes here and there could make a huge difference. So get those ballots in. You have until 8 p.m. tomorrow. Or if you're a liberal Democrat, you get a week or two. Don't worry about it. Good night, everybody. Election coverage on the Jane Carroll Show tomorrow night starting at 7 p.m. Pacific and 10 p.m. Eastern. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.